Hey guys, thanks for listening to Kinda Dating, the comedy dating podcast where I, your host, Natasha Chandel, and some cool guests break down the dating world and try to figure out why the fuck do we all have commitment issues? Today's topic is what is the science behind attraction and addiction? Let's find out. Friends, I'm Natasha Chandel, and you're listening to Kinda Dating. I'm here with the beautiful Aisha Holden. Hello, <laughs> um, long time no see. <laughs> I know, right? It's been you forever. Episodes back to back, guys. <laughs> so, uh, guys, um, we're always trying to grow this podcast. So please, 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 do us a solid and tell us a friend, or not tell us a friend, tell Plus a friend <laughs> about the podcast. And uh, make sure you subscribe to the podcast wherever you get it. Also, please remember to leave us a five-star rating or review if you like the episode and just us overall. Uh, we're also on social media, so follow us there. We're at Kind of Dating across the board. Um, also on TikTok now, so you can uh, join there for some funny videos. Um, Aisha, where are you at? I am at Aisha Sovan everywhere. Social media is sold. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I am at Natasha Chandel Official on Facebook. Natasha underscore Chandel on Twitter, Natasha dot Chandel on TikTok, and Natasha Chandel on Instagram, um, where on Sundays and Thursdays, we're doing Instagram lives um, about the kind of dating podcast. So you can ask us uh, questions. You can talk to us about the last episode you saw. Um, that's at Natasha Chandel on Instagram. Okay, we are back with an awesome guest who helped us out so much last week. Mm. which was really just a few minutes ago for us, but <laughs> last week for you guys listening, we have speaker, entrepreneur, author of Breakup Bootcamp, The Science of Rewiring Your Heart, which is available in bookstores um, everywhere uh, December 1st. She has been featured in New York Times, Good Morning America, Glamour, and more. And she's called the scientific version of Carrie Bradshaw. Everyone, welcome back, Amy Chan. Hello. Welcome. Um, we had such a great time. We were like learning in real time with you uh, in the last episode of getting over your ex. Um, so we already know the first question, single or in a relationship, you said? Still in a relationship. Yes. <laughs> Glad it's working out. Right. <laughs> um, so let's jump in because this is a very interesting topic to to a lot of people. I think science of anything is is uh, really interesting to our listeners. Um, and the science of attraction and addiction, especially to the wrong people, I think uh, is a little eye-opening. So let's just start with like what makes someone attractive. Yeah. So there's a few things at play. We develop a, a love map according to Dr. Helen Fisher, who's an anthropologist on love. And this is the idea that by the age of around eight to 12 years old, we have an idea of what we are drawn to and what repulses us. And this is a combination of what we experience in our household, watching our primary caregivers to classmates, to teachers, to TV, all of that stuff. It, it's a subconscious love map. And there's other things at play. And I talked about this a little in last the last episode on attractions of deprivation, where we are drawn to people 
who can wound us in a very similar way to how we're wounded as children. And our psyche subconsciously tries to recreate the scenario of the crime to hopefully try and change its ending. Now, we develop what I call a chemistry compass. And I talk about this in my book at great lengths because a lot of the times when I'm working with people who are struggling with dating and breakups, they are so hard on themselves and they think that they're broken. And I know for myself, I thought I was broken my whole life because relationships just didn't work out for me. And it's not that you're broken. It's that your chemistry compass might be broken. And when I say chemistry compass, this is what's pointing you to who you're drawn to and who you're repulsed by. And if you grow up with an unhealthy model of what love looks like and feels like, this is probably going to affect your chemistry compass because human beings like what is familiar. This is across the board, whether it's food or music or people. And so if you, for example, like me, had a very unavailable father growing up, that's familiar. That to me, that was my attraction of deprivation. That's what I found familiar. And so growing up, I sought out people who could wound me very similar, who were very un- or unavailable because that was what I was comfortable with. And when someone came along who was available, who had time for me, who intentionally wanted to date me, I got grossed out or I would say they're boring and I would be like, Ugh, I have no chemistry with this person. And so I actually had to learn and I did an experiment on myself on how to change my chemistry compass to fix it so it could start pointing me in the direction of healthy people. Wow. And so, and uh, I mean, how did you sort of do that? Just like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'll tell you. <laughs> So after dating person after person who was unavailable, I got ghosted, I got rejected, I got slow faded, benched, whatever, you name it, I, it happened to me. Um, I was like, okay, clearly there's a pattern here, right? Um, and I can't just blame the guys. I got to look at what's going on. And I know that there's a pattern. And I, I, one time I remember I was at work and I had someone, a friend of mine who was chatting with me on messenger and was like, Hey, Amy, I know that we're just friends, but it seems like we have the same values and like, you know, life vision. Would you be interested in seeing if like, can we explore this romantically? Like I would love to take you out on a date. And he, his name is Alex, really nice guy, awesome human being. And my reaction was, I screamed. I was like, oh my God. And my coworker's like, are you okay? Is everything okay? And I felt complete disgust. Mm-hmm. And I just stopped and like, this is not, this is not a healthy reaction. If someone who is healthy, communicating with, to me with such respect, such an awesome human being, and is asking me out and I'm physi- feeling physically repulsed, there's something wrong here. And so it took me actually some time and I was like, hey, that's a, a lot to process. So give me a moment because I was still like out of sorts. Like I went on a walk. I was like, oh my gosh. And I was like, okay, I came to you and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do this thing and I'm going to, to go out with people who are intentionally wanted to date me and who are healthy. And I'm going to start right now. So I messaged him back. I'm like, 
yeah, like I respect that you so like courageously asked me, sure, let's do it. Even though I was like a little dying inside. And so that started off my experiment, which I did for seven months. And I went on a couple dates with Alex. The the chemistry wasn't building for me. And so I continued to go on dates. I even swiped on people on these dating apps, people I would never swipe on before. And remember like one guy, he bought like pastries on our first date. So sweet, so lovely. But still it's like this thing doesn't seem to be working, my experiment. And early on, there was a guy named Chris and he was like a tech guy, a little bit nerdy, totally not my type introverted, really shy. And he was interested in me. And I remember one time I was like, Hey, like, I don't want to like lead you on or anything. I don't have romantic feelings, but if you want to hang out as homies, like I'm down. And, and he's like, Amy, he's like, sure. Like, I, I think you're an awesome human. I would love to just get, you know, to know you. It's totally fine. So we would hang out every so often. There was never any pressure. And like about seven months into my experiment, I was like, this experiment sucks. Like it's not working. And I go out for dinner with Chris. And I remember this moment at dinner where I just looked at him and I was like, oh, you look <laughs> I <love> handsome. That. <laughs> hey, I, like, I like those glasses. And I realized, I was like, I feel chemistry for this person. I feel romantic chemistry about this person. And... I realized that my brain cognitively didn't process that it was romantic chemistry that I had with Chris. I did know that I enjoyed hanging out with Chris. I like had fun when we hung out, but I didn't know like this was romantic. It took time for that to process because I didn't feel an immediate lust towards Chris. Mm. And what I'll go over later on is we can go over the mating drives and how love is sparked. But to wrap up this is my experiment actually did work because what happened was all those guys in between, they were healthy. They were intentionally wanting to date me. They showed up so beautifully for me. It was growing my, my familiarity with what healthy love and interest feels like which I didn't have an idea about before. And so I got more familiar with it. And so it didn't become this crazy thing where I went from high, high, low, low relationships to completely steady and healthy. I had to build up my reserve for that, my tolerance for healthy. Mm. Did you know that Kinda Dating Now has merch? Yep, we collaborated with tpublic.com to create t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, stickers, iPhone cases, and so much more. Picking up one of our items is a great way to support the show and grab some swag for yourself. So swing over to tpublic.com or follow the link in the description of this episode to grab yours today. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's amazing. I mean, I I very much uh, relate to that because I felt like that's what uh, I eventually did much, much later um, where I started training myself to like the nice guy. And uh, and now I'm just like totally turned off by sort of that bad boy or anybody who has their shit like not together. I'm like, ugh. Um, <laughs> even like after a date, I'm straight up about it. I'm like, oh, listen, I, I really don't need X, Y, Z in my life anymore. You don't seem like you're available, which I would never have said before. Um, is there, is there, okay, so like, Obviously, there are these chemical reactions to attraction. When, I mean, I'm trying to understand why we get attracted to one person over another. 
is that could could that be like the levels of those neurotransmitters are off like how how is there anything about that um and there's a few things so it's not like there's no research that says why you're getting more of a hit of dopamine with this person versus this other person. But I believe chemistry and attraction is on a spectrum. Mm -hmm. And so familiarity, when you're around someone more and more, it will actually uh, intensify the original feeling that was there. So that's why if you have some annoying coworker that you're like super like annoyed with all the time, you're not going to suddenly love the person because you spend all day with them at work. But if you have a coworker where there was like a little bit of, of, of a spark where again, you might've not cognitively processed it as romantic, that through time can grow as you spend more time with them. And so uh, at, on the spectrum of attraction, there are definitely, you can still feel chemistry towards someone. Like I know for me, like I'm now in a relationship, but when I was dating, I still met like the unavailable tech CEO, even though I was like healthy and I was insecure and be like, oh, like, who's this guy? What app did he make? And like, <laughs> you know, I could feel this pull, but then I could recognize it's like, I know how the story is going to end. Mm -hmm. So the difference wasn't that I didn't have any chemistry. I didn't have any initial attraction. It was that I chose not to be beholden to that chemistry, to be a slave to it and have that chemistry make the choices for me. And I think that's what you're saying too, right? Where you can see like someone looks unavailable, like, okay, I'm going to choose to not go here because I know how it's going to end. Next, I have enough self-worth and understand my standards that... I'm going to look for someone else. Bye. Yeah. And coming back to your, you know, identifying emotional experiences is also, uh, has been really mm -hmm. important for me where uh, if I, if I went on a date with somebody and they gave me a red flag that was like, oh, I'm going to be trying to fix this. I, I don't, I, yeah. I have a mental thing in my head where I'm like, I, I'm not trying to fix anything. Like, not trying to be your mom, not trying to be your friend. Like I, I even say, I'm like, I don't want to be your best friend. I have best friends. My best <laughs> friends are awesome. I don't need them. If you need best friends, go out and find them. I'm not, your teacher. I'm not, not none of that. I'm literally here to be your girlfriend and, and <laughs> that's it. So like, don't, you know, so whenever I see that in people, I choose, you're right. Um, is attraction and love the same thing? No, it's not. So I'll explain the different mating drives that create love. Mm. There is three. So there's lust and that is driven by testosterone. This is mother nature's way of having us have sex with as many people as we possibly could, right? And That's women a driver. also have testosterone. Yes, for sure. Yes. They have less of it than men, um, but we both have it. And then... Um, Second is uh, attraction, which is driven by dopamine. And so this is when it feels amazing when your affections are returned and it feels completely awful when it doesn't. This is when you have this high anticipation mm -hmm. to see that person while you might have obsessive thoughts over them and you're not sleeping, you're not doing anything. Um, this is mother nature's way of making you zone in on one person for procreation. And then the third is attachment and bonding. This is driven by oxytocin and vasopressin. Oxytocin is actually secreted when a mother gives birth and when she um, breastfeeds. This is the bonding chemical. Um, now, something just as an aside, when, uh, when 
a man and a woman has sex and, and there's an orgasm, the woman will actually have a spike of oxytocin. The man will as well, but he also has a spike of testosterone and testosterone blunts the effects of oxytocin. So that's why theoretically there are some women that get a lot more attached after sex than men do. Not everyone, but oh, some. Oh, yeah. I was um, going to say I don't, but I've, I've always wondered that. I've always like, why do I not? <laughs> <laughs> and so love can be sparked by any of these mating drives. But what we're used to seeing in, from when our fairy tales to the love songs to the movies is the, the idea of romance and love as lust. We see the Romeo and Juliet. We see the love actually. All these stories, which are super intense storylines of what love is. And it's equated uh, this whole entire culture of people who often struggle with relationships and commitment because they have the wrong idea of what love is. They equate intensity with love. Love is not intense, right? We equate then highs and lows, anxiety, excitement with love when mm-hmm. it's not. Uh, it could definitely be lust and it could definitely be attraction and it can, definitely can be this chemical exchange, but that doesn't equate love. And so in my story with Chris, I didn't have lust in the very beginning. I had maybe some of uh, attraction. There was some dopamine because I actually looked forward to hanging out with him. And then I think we actually had more bonding where I felt bonded to him. And then eventually the last thing that was spark was the lust. So love can be sparked by any of the mating drives, which is why I really encourage people to be open-minded in their dating because it doesn't necessarily work in this chronological order of lust, attraction, attachment, bonding. I love that. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, we I asked this a little bit before. You sort of answered it. I guess... I mean, it was that are women hardwired to be a little bit more attached than men? But I mean, at least in the sex sort of format, let's say, um, a little bit. Yeah, right. Because like you said, we get more oxytocin. They get oxytocin and testosterone. Testosterone, you said, restrains or limits uh, oxytocin, which is the bonding. Yeah. So if you're looking at it purely on like a chemical sense, mm-hmm. um, then yes, women would be more predisposed to attach and to bond than men are. Now, there's so many different things at play though, right? There's also, if you are dating someone, a man who has an anxious attachment style, it doesn't matter about the chemicals. He's likely going to attach to you more than someone who has an avoidant attachment style. However, men are have a tendency, there's, men are more tendent to be avoidant versus Oh my god, anxious. I was just about to say that. I was going to I was going to chime in with like a little quip of like yeah, except men are <laughs> yes. And, and this the, it's debated, right? Is this socialization? Is this the way that they're born? Is it because, you know, men are taught as young little boys to suppress their emotions? If they skin their knee, they're taught to like get up and be strong and hold in their tears where women are like, "Oh my gosh, are you okay? Like you have the space and the time to like to be upset and it's totally okay to be sad." Right? There's so many reasons and theories of why this is. Um I know for myself, um I get attached after sex. It doesn't matter if I'm having sex with a garbage man or whomever or the prince of Bel Air. Like I will love the person afterwards. And so knowing this about myself, I was like, okay, 
um, for me, I get attached to sex. So I need to be careful and more selective with who I'm choosing and allow more time where I actually trust the person. I think that it, it's never going to hurt to allow more time to trust someone before you open up the most intimate parts of yourself. Because if you have one date with someone, this is not about shaming or religion or anything. Just look at it. You've known someone, what, for five hours, maybe six hours. The levels of trust of knowing the person just isn't there. And then you're going to dive into something so deeply intimate. And sex, yes, it is intimate. That you're, it's not aligned. So it's not going to hurt, especially if you have tendencies to get more attached after sex, more codependent, more anxiously attached, to give it some time. I'm always so curious if like, if generations are changing or not, because we we just did an episode um Gen Z on, you know, uh, Gen Z on dating and a couple youngins came on and, <laughs> and uh, they were talking about how casual sex and like hooking up is a lot more prevalent and, and not just prevalent, but totally okay. Um, so I keep wondering, like, can we rewire our brain? Uh, can you break that cycle where are there just more people now starting to not be as attached and I mean, is that possible? Maybe. I mean, I, I think there's a difference of what is accepted culturally and as a society as okay. Right. And I know I grew up watching sex in the city and that was the first time where like sport fucking was like cool. And I remember being like, I want to be like Samantha and I can fuck whoever I want. And like, I'm empowered. Yeah. And I went and did that and I felt shitty. But mm -hmm. would I say like, this is totally okay. Or even to my friends, like, yeah, I totally fucked that guy. Like, yeah. But deep inside, I was like dying inside. Uh -huh. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's very interesting. I find all this very fascinating. Um, I'm going to switch gears a little bit. So we're talking about, you know, that this is the overall uh, science of attraction, but why do we then get addicted? Or what is the scientific reason we get addicted to the wrong person? Because yeah. it does feel like a drug and sometimes yeah. like a spell and like you are actually addicted to them. Mm -hmm. um, why does, I mean, why does that happen? So the first thing I want to talk about is intermittent reinforcement. And this is something that uh, they have figured out at casinos and what happens when you play slot machines. And it is the idea that when you get rewards in an unpredictable manner, so you don't know when it's going to come, it might come now, it might come later, you don't know, you get a higher um, hit of dopamine and it gets you really addicted. And so they've done actually a lot of studies on rats and they've taken these rats and they've put them in a cage and these rats will have a lever. And when they press the lever, they get a pellet of food. And so as they continue doing it, they're getting a piece of food. Um, it's consistent. That reinforcement is consistent. They know they do action A, they get B. Then they did an experiment where they're like, hey, let, let's see what happens when we take away the food completely. So they're pressing it. And after a while, they're like, oh, I press this. It doesn't get me anything. I'm out of here. And they continue doing their thing. Again, they train them. Action A equals B. I get nothing. I'm out of here. 
And then they're like, okay, now how about if we give them the pellet of food sometimes when they press the lever, but not all the time. And so what they found was the rat would obsessively keep pressing the lever, stop grooming itself, stop doing wow. anything else until it started to deteriorate and just obsessively press the lever because sometimes they got the reward and sometimes they didn't. And this is what happens when you're dating someone. When someone is dating you and they're just giving you breadcrumbs, they're giving you a little bit of affection here, pulling it back. Maybe you're in an abusive cycle with them where they're terrible to you and then suddenly they love bomb you with flowers and apologies and, and says everything that you want to hear. Or they, they drop off the face of the earth after a romantic weekend and then they, you see that they're checking all your IG stories, right? All of that are little breadcrumbs that keep you from starving but never full. And that is what gets you hooked. It's not because this person is so awesome. It is because these are psychological things that happen. And sometimes if you're dealing with someone who's actually trying to manipulate you, they can actually use this knowing that they're going to manipulate you. And sometimes it's unintentional, but they don't like, they don't want to invest in you. They don't like you enough. And so, but they like the feeling of having the tension. So they keep little tethers here and here and maybe with this person and they get all these little hits whenever they want to. And then whenever they don't, they're out. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas you're like, Oh my God, give me more, give me more. Oh my wow. God. That's such a great question <laughs> of it. Like Aisha and I are like, Oh my God. Yes. Uh, I, yeah. My two toxic relationships literally were that I never knew about, or I think I've heard of that rat story, but not in this context. And mm -hmm. then when you, when you piece it together like that, you're like, Oh shit, they were, they do give you that little breadcrumb. It is like you're the little rat <laughs> pressing that little button. Like, give me. Oh, no, I didn't get it, but I'm going to try again. No, wait, maybe I'll get it. Oh, fuck, I got one. Like, oh, I can like literally picture it in my head. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, so how do we not <laughs> yeah. fucking get so addicted to <laughs> boys out there? Because you know, some of them look really hot. Some of them are good in bed, which I would still argue are usually not, but some of them <laughs> are. Um, and so, I mean, what do you do? Yeah. So for the, for intermittent reinforcement, it's important that you identify, is this a phase or is it a cycle and a pattern? If it's a phase because maybe they are, you know, caring for their family during Corona or whatever's going on, it's very different, right? That's like a stage of life and it's going to eventually pass. It's not a chronic pattern. If it's a chronic pattern, the way to stop it is to get out of it. And instead, a, a natural tendency is for us to, when we're not getting that attention we want anymore, a natural tendency is just to put our, our foot on the gas pedal and just give more. And what does that do? It actually just creates more of a power imbalance. And I see this a lot with the people I work with that break up boot camp is especially for the overgivers out there is it starts off even that they take one step you take one step and then suddenly your feelings might get a little bit higher or then you're you're insecure or self-conscious if they like you enough and then you're like you know what I'm just going to step up a bit more. And then they're taking one step and you're taking three steps for every step that they're not taking. What do you think eventually happens? And if you look at it like human beings, we are always aware of power dynamics. 
on a very subconscious level. Even when you're walking down the street and you're walking straight, people without even knowing know if they should get out of your way or if you're going to get out of their way. It is very, very quick and we know. And so the same thing happens with our relationships. It's not that people are evil or out to get you. Most people aren't, unless if they have like a full-blown narcissistic personality disorder. That's a very different story. But most people have you know, good intentions. The thing is they're going to also be responding to how you're setting precedent. So with power dynamics, if you are coming in with 80%, you're only leaving them room for 20%. There's only a hundred percent. And so notice those tendencies, especially if you have codependent tendencies or anxiously attached, notice when you're putting your foot on the gas pedal to make up for their lack. And when it is, what you do is you pause, you don't do anything. You call your friend, you read that letter of nice things that said about you. I don't know. You look up YouTube videos of funny cats, whatever you do, you do not contact the person and give them more. That's number one. Yeah. (laughs) I have number two. Please. Number two is, uh, I talked about this in the last episode. A lot of people get caught up in what's called sunk cost fallacy. And this is a tendency for- Wait, what is it called? So sorry. Sunk cost fallacy. This is a tendency for people to invest more into something because they've already had invested time, money, or energy into it. And it happens in stock markets, why people keep investing into a dead stock. Uh, It happens when you bought tickets to a movie and even though 30 minutes in, you know it's horrible, you watch it to the very end. It happens (laughs) to when you're dating someone and you're unhappy, but you're like, oh, but you know, I've already spent three years with this person. We've gone through so much therapy. Like you've done the work. You're like, you know, I'm just going to stay. And you rationalize reasons why you should stay. This is classic sunk cost fallacy. So you need to recognize when this is happening. And if you are staying with someone or chasing someone or trying to fix someone or the relationship, not because of what it's yielding now and what it's yielding in the future, but because of what you've invested. What you have to look at it this way: what you've invested, it's done. It's gone. The time, the energy, the money and therapy, it's done. You want to ask yourself, if you were to make the same decision right now, today, would you choose this person again? And that's going to be really telling because you want to make decisions that have, start focusing on the value of the present and in the future versus the value you've invested in the past. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. So, so these are some of the tips to, to break that cycle of, uh, of being with somebody. Toxic people. Yeah. Really. yeah. Um, are there any other things that people can do as we sort of like wrap this out? I believe there's one other thing that I think could be super helpful. And that is getting really clear on what you want in a relationship. And when I say this, throw out the list of how they should look, the skinny jeans that they wear, the type of job that they should have. That's not the list I'm talking about. I'm talking about how do you want to feel in a partnership? Mm. And what are the values that are important? Because when the lust is over and research shows that between eight months to two years is when that chemical cocktail that, oh my gosh, butterflies in the stomach subsides. You are left with two people are you compatible? Can you live together? Can you do life together? Do you even like each other as people? Um, because the, the other exciting stuff is going to fade and it, it morphs into a different type of 
of energy. And what's going to be the glue is the compatibility. And so get clear on what it is that you want, because if you're not very clear, what's going to happen is you're going to constantly be reacting to who's choosing you. You're going to be constantly be like, oh, you're good, kind of enough, but I don't know. Sure. Why not? Right. Instead, like if you get clear on what are the values and I do this this exercise at Breakup Bootcamp and also in my book, list what are the top 10 values that are important to you and you, and then score yourself from one to 10 or zero to 10. And on there, it might be values that you find important, but you're not actually even that actualized in. Maybe adventure is on mine. I'm probably a two out of 10, but I find that really important, Mm -hmm. right? But monogamy is on there. I'm a 10 out of 10 on a monogamy. And so, and then look at the last three people you dated and rate them from zero to 10. How do they score? This is going to be really telling to you. Are you a slave to chemistry and you ignore everything else? I know for me, I dated a guy who off the bat was not monogamous. He's like, hey, if I accidentally have sex with someone while I'm drunk, like it shouldn't be the end of our relationship. I'm emotionally monogamous to you. And like, what did I do? I dated him for four months, right? Like if I had this value spreadsheet, I would have been like, he's a zero on monogamy and and he doesn't rate nearly as high as I do on all these values. We weren't compatible, but instead I went through this heart-wrenching, back and forth, toxic relationship, not because he was a bad person, but we weren't the right fit for each other. And so get clear on your values and then the next time, especially if you have a history of dating people who are toxic for you and you realize that way after, then this is a good time to be like, okay, I actually need to, again, set myself up for success. And maybe in the very beginning, you might meet someone and you have that attraction, but you are like, wow, our values are totally off. And you make the decision being like attractive and I'm not going to go there. I really like that you uh, scaled it by number too, because Mm -hmm. I think the thing people get stuck on sometimes is even if you come up with a list of values, for example, um, they get stuck on, you know, that idea of like non-negotiables and, and it's almost like, Oh, well, can, because there are some things, like you said, monogamy, which is 10 out of 10 for you. So that would actually be more of a non-negotiable. But some of the other things that maybe are one out of 10, maybe you could be a little bit flexible here or there. Because I think people think if they come up with a list, they have to be that entire thing top to bottom. And it's like, well, hey, you have a list, but out of that list, which are the most important things. And I really right. like that. So those things you can be a little bit more maybe rigid about because those would really affect your maybe mental health, like monogamy, for example, that would probably affect your mental health if you were with somebody yeah. and they just didn't want to be um, versus something else that was farther down on the list that you could be like, okay. I- yeah, totally. I think that there's definitely, like I said, right, adventures on there, but I'm not that adventurous myself, right? It, the, this list can help you identify what are the most important values, like you just said. And second, you're not going to meet someone who's exactly like you. That's not the point. Um, but you know, I think that by having this understanding, if there's a non-negotiable or it, even yourself, if your standards are just way so high, right? If you're like generosity, um, 
I'm a zero out of 10, but that is my most important, but I'm super cheap and I'm calculative and I split everything down the middle. And if my friend had a drink, I'll make sure they pay an extra $3 for their beer. Like, and you're like, no, I want someone who's like totally rich and generous all the time. I'm like totally unrealistic. Right? right. So I also meet people who are like, I have this, 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 I want this. I'm like, you're not that at <laughs> all. Take a look at your list. <laughs> right. So be honest. Yes. Everybody needs to be honest. Aisha, am I missing anything in this? Uh, is there anything you want to know with about toxic people or? Um, I don't know. I think we've gotten pretty deep into it. Yeah, because I felt yeah. like we, you, you and I have uh, had this experience before. So I wanted to make sure I wasn't missing anything. Yeah, no. Uh, Amy, thank you so much. These have been really, really informative, eye-opening um, episodes okay. for us and for sure the mm-hmm. listeners. Um, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you. This has been so fun. Yeah. And uh, you already did your six questions. So guys, listen to um, the Getting Over Your Ex episode um, and hear Amy's answers to that. Amy, how can everybody find you in your book, which is yeah. so awesome? Uh, you can find me on renewbreakupbootcamp.com. That's the website. On Instagram, Miss Amy Chan. That's M-I-S-S-A-Y-S-H-A-N. And you can buy my book, Breakup Bootcamp, The Science of Rewiring Your Heart. And it's available at all bookstores. Guys, please make sure you get it because uh, she knows what she's talking about. Yeah, oh, yeah. girl. Um, <laughs> I'm really happy that, that, that you were able to use your negative experience and turn it into such a positive one for so many mm-hmm. people. So thank, thank you for that. You. Thank um, you. Guys, we're also on social media. So make sure you follow us. We're at Kind of Dating across the board. Aisha, where are you at? I am at Aisha Says Dance across the board. And I am at Natasha Chandel on Facebook, Natasha.Chandel on TikTok, Natasha underscore Chandel on Twitter, and Natasha Chandel on Instagram, where on Sundays and Thursdays, I'll be doing uh, Instagram lives, answering your questions. So uh, check that out starting in November. Also, thank you guys for downloading this episode of the podcast. Please remember to tell a friend, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Also, send us your dating stories and thoughts to kindadating at gmail.com. Finally, I know it seems tough out there, but just try. Till next time. Kind of Dating is created, produced, and hosted by myself, Natasha Chandel. Aisha Holden is my co-host. Our producer is Adam Pineless, and our intern is Karina Uribe. The opening music is composed by Joe Lorenzetti, and our logo and graphics are by Jenna Yannick and K. Daniel Ellis.